Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Again, whether you're doing so online or in person today, we're glad to be with you. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And before we uh, dive into things for today, I uh, want to get you caught up on some things going on here in our church family and pray specifically about them. Uh, over the last month, you may have heard us pray for, for Noah. And some of you know who Noah is and what that's all about, and others you have prayed with us, but really have no idea what you're praying about. Um, Noah is the grandson of Iora and Valder Haglin. They attend regularly here at Faith. He was born to Lars and Nicole. Um, and Lars and Nicole, some of you know them. They, they are here from time to time and help uh, participate in the worship ministry. But about a month ago when Noah was born, he was born without half of his heart. Uh, the entire left side of his heart, he just didn't receive one. And for the last month, he has been in the hospital fighting for his life, has undergone uh, a number of uh, medical procedures, and they've been doing everything they can to try and get this little boy's heart set up so that uh, he could survive. Friday of uh, this week passed, uh, Noah went home to be with the Lord, and um, just his family, understandably, is grieving in the midst of all of that. And so as we have been in communication with the Haglins, they've just asked that we pray for them. Um, this, when, you, when you speak to somebody about this, there's nothing you can say uh, outside of, hey, I am so sorry, and how can I help? Anything beyond that generally is not a good thing. And so um, as we've been asking them, how can we help? They've been saying, hey, please just pray for us. And so um, we're going to pray for them right now, and if you know the Haglins, I'd, I'd encourage you to reach out and um, just let them know that you're grieving with them and ask them if there's anything you can do for them and continue to pray for them. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into things. Father, just today, um, just thank you for the life of Noah for the time his parents and grandparents got to spend with him. God, I don't, I don't get it. I don't have the answers to why. But I know we need you in this. I know Lars and Nicole are just heartbroken. And they need to sense your presence and your hope and your comfort, and your healing. God, I just pray that you would please break into this time that is full of confusion and grief, and you would pour out those things into their lives, into their other two boys' lives, into their parents' lives, that you would meet this family, that you would help them and that you would bring healing in time. Father, just today as we take time and explore your truth, I pray that you would meet us in this and that you would help us please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are uh, starting a brand new series today uh, entitled Walk This Way. And uh, it's, it's Alicia alluded to, we're going to talk a little bit about camping in this series, specifically about backpacking. 
Um, backpacking is something my wife and I do together. In fact, uh, at the end of every summer, right, where summer and fall kind of come together, we go on a backpacking trip. And it's something that we've done for a number of years, but something that we really didn't start doing till we'd been married for about 20 years. And the way we got into it kind of went like this. We were up at Pictured Rocks, and we were car camping, which is radically different than backpacking. Um, and I just, by accident, I discovered there's a 42-mile hiking trail that runs the entire length of the uh, park. And I was just sitting there and uh, thinking out loud, and my wife happened to be sitting next to me, and I said, you know, someday I would love to go back and just walk the length of this trail. That sounds like a neat adventure to me. And my wife looks at me and says, I would love to do that with you. And I said, who are you and what have you done to my wife, right? <laughs> Never mind, I like this version better. I will keep you. And so, um, so for our 20th anniversary, we bought backpacking gear. And we went for a 42-mile walk over the course of five days and absolutely fell in love with it. It's one of the few common recreational activities that we share together, and it only took us 20 years to find it. Um, I just, just love it. And there, there, there's something about being out on the trail where you get to experience things in a way that you just can't anywhere else. Like, like to be sitting on a cliff about 300 feet up above Lake Superior. There's no cell connection. You're just having lunch. And you see a bald eagle fly by at eye level. That's amazing. Or, or to be standing up on a ridge and you look down and this, this cow moose just kind of walks out of the woods and she stares you down and then she saunters back in again. I just, I just love that kind of stuff. Or to be sitting at a campfire, it's dark, and have an owl swoop into a tree, grab the squirrel screaming for its life, and it just carries it off and that's dinner for that thing. You just, you can't get that just anywhere, right? There's experiences, you get to experience the, the majesty and the beauty of creation in ways you can't anywhere else. And for me, to be out in the middle of nowhere with no cell signal, it is just food for my soul. Now, my wife and I, we, we figured out over the years as we've done this that there are certain factors that, that can make backpacking really enjoyable or that can make it absolutely miserable. Like there, there are certain factors that, that make the trip magnificent or miserable. And one of those factors is the gear that you take with you on the trail. It is an absolute difference maker. Now, backpacking gear is different than regular camping gear in that it's all smaller, it's all lighter, and it all costs way more, right? <laughs> Just how it goes. But it's all small and light because everything you need with you to survive for a week, you bring with you. Your food, your shelter, your clothing, everything you're going to need, you take with you. And so you, you want it to be light and small, and you cram it all in this pack, and it doesn't weigh you down. But the, the right gear is absolutely huge. And over the years, we've seen this play itself out on the trail with people who bring the wrong gear. So like, for example, this is one of our tents. This sleeps two people. It weighs under three pounds, and it's absolutely wonderful, right? Th this is... This is this is my chair on the trail. Nope, that's not my chair. This is my chair on the trail. It's 19 ounces. This is a luxury item. You really don't have to have a chair on the trail. But after about five days of sitting in the dirt, it's like 19 ounces is worth the wait. I'm going to bring this with me, right? I have watched people like load wagons up, drag them at three, five, seven miles 
They've got coolers. They've got full-size car tents. They've got folding chairs with them. And they roll into camp. They do not look like they're having a good time. And they get there, they set their stuff up, and then I have multiple times I've watched people leave their things behind. They would rather abandon their gear, go home and buy new stuff, than carry it out again because they brought the wrong things in there in the first place. Or this is my camping stove. It is three and a half ounces. I can cook everything I need on the trail right here on this little baby. You just give me a little can of isobupane and I'm ready to go, right? This, this is my water filter. You put me by any body of water and I can make drinkable water with this. I have watched people carry cast iron cookware into camp. <laughs> can in, you know, like tin cans, you know, like Chef Boyardee, you know? I've watched them with gallon jugs of water. You know how much gal a gallon of water weighs, anybody? Eight pounds per gallon. That is ridiculously heaven. They roll into camp and they look like they hate their lives, right? It's the wrong gear. Or th th this, this, is, this is backpacking meal. Um, it's, it's eight ounces. It, it hydrates into... Um, Chicken enchilada rice. It's one of my favorite meals on the trail. Uh, I, love, I, love camp, <laughs> I love backpacking with people who bring too much food because I am the human garbage disposal. You know, you, you pack it, I eat it. You, you couldn't go any better than that, you know? And so, so this, is, this is my backpack. Um, I can get about a week's of what I need to survive. And here you strap this on my back and I'm, I'm like, I'm good to go, right? You know, I, six to 10 miles, no problem. 12 if I have to. I've literally watched people roll into camp with their gear in a garbage bag that they have slung over their shoulder, you know, blisters on their hands. They're, they, they, they're miserable. The gear you take on the trail, it's, it's the difference maker between the adventure of a lifetime or a torturous trip. Now, in this series, we're just going to explore together how there, there's... There are similarities between a walk on the trail and our walk with God. See, just like there are factors that can make your time on the trail absolutely miserable or absolutely magnificent, there are factors that impact our spiritual lives, our walk with God the same way. And, and one of the factors that, that, that is just like the gear you take on the trail when it comes to your walk with God is this thing that we refer to in the church is the spiritual practices. The spiritual practices, they're like the gear you take on the trail. And when it comes to our walk with God, they, they're the difference between that walk just being obligatory drudgery or the adventure of a lifetime genuine spiritual life. And so in this series, we're, we're going to explore together some of these different practices. And as we, as we do so, we're going to discover what does it look like to, to have the kind of walk with God that he desires, that he means for us to have. But, but as we get started today, we're going to do so by looking at a couple of different models for approaching the spiritual practices. Because I've, I've noticed how we approach those practices, it's like either you know, jumping into a walk with God with the right gear or the wrong gear. 
And, and to help us think through a couple different models for the spiritual practices, we're going to start off looking at a statement that Jesus made in John chapter 14. I'll warn you, it's, it's, um, it's a, a slightly uncomfortable statement that Jesus makes here in John 14. And then we're going to kind of bounce around all over the place with regards to where we're going to be at in the Bible. And so uh, if you want to follow along, it'll all be up on the screen. Or if you want to follow along, it's, it's in the YouVersion Bible app or in the uh, digital bulletin. But in John 14, Jesus says this. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, but they belong to the Father who sent me. Now, in this passage, Jesus makes a connection between our love for him and our obedience to his teaching. And and did you catch who Jesus applies that connection to? Who's it apply to? Anyone. Anyone. Which kind of means everyone. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now, whether you're here live or you're watching on the live stream, I just want you to think. Who do you know who has perfectly throughout the course of their lives obeyed the teachings of Jesus? Like if you're on the live stream and you're watching right now, you've perfectly obeyed the teachings of Jesus, just go ahead and put your name in perfect right there in the live stream feed. If you're here in the room today and you've perfectly obeyed the teachings of Jesus, just go ahead and raise your hand. Aren't you, aren't you glad for social distancing, right? Somebody raises their hand. You got six feet between you and them and the lightning strike, right? (laughs) Now, if you're here today or you're on the live stream and you have not perfectly obeyed the teachings of Jesus, go ahead and raise your hand. If you failed sometime in the last week to obey the teachings of Jesus, last 24 hours, as you're getting ready for church or on your way here, right? Your spouse was running late again. Kids are fighting in the back of the car. Some jerk cuts you off, you know, and then you find out they're going to the same place as you are, right? And you, you, I mean, you just somewhere along the line, something comes out of your mouth, you do something, it just violates what Jesus has taught. See, the fact is, all of us have failed to obey the teachings of Jesus, and yet Jesus will say, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. If I was ever going to write a book called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, this might make the list. Because it sure seems like Jesus is saying that I don't love him. Now, in all fairness to Jesus, when he says this, Jesus is not saying that if we do not obey him perfectly, that does not mean that we don't love him at all. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you don't obey me perfectly, you don't love me at all. However, Jesus makes an unavoidable connection here between our obedience to his teachings and our love for him. Which means that Jesus is saying, when I fail to obey his teachings... That reflects 
that I don't love Jesus as much as I could or as much as I should. In those moments where I fail to obey the teachings of Jesus, it demonstrates a deficit in my love for him. In that moment, my love for him isn't all that it could be. It isn't all that it should be. Which should then raise a question for me of, okay, what, what do I need to do about this? Because th there's room for me to grow in my love for Jesus here. My lack of obedience in this moment, it reflects that. So how do I do that? And, and that's where our two models come in. How, how we approach the spiritual practices in, in one of these two ways really explains to us how we're going about trying to deal with this issue that Jesus raises here as he connects our obedience to his teaching and our love for him. So let's look at these models. We'll, we'll start off with the first model. And, and the first model is one that I see lived into most frequently in the church. It's one that, that people oftentimes, they're not even aware they're living into this model. They're not thinking it through this way. But it, it, it works itself out in people's lives all the time. And it's a model that ultimately is fueled by obligation and shame. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell them obligation and shame. Doesn't that sound fun, right? This is, as we look at this first model, you're going to see this play itself out. So our first model, it starts with believing. Starts with believing. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. In our first model, you get to this place where you realize, like, spiritually, I'm broken. I've sinned. I am indebted to a God, that, and I have no way of making this right. But I come to a place where I believe that Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus came and lived the life that I should have lived, that he died on a cross to pay for my sin, that God rose him from the dead to prove that it was all true. And, and I cross the line of faith. I come to this place where I put my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus, and I surrender my life to following him. And our first model, I start with believing. But then from there, I go from believing to obeying. And, and the idea here is, is I go, okay, the reason I've got a problem in the first place is I haven't been obeying the teachings of Jesus. And if I've come to this place where I believe in him and, and where I'm genuinely sorry for my sin, it only follows that I'm going to try and stop doing the things wrong that I was, was doing wrong. And if I'm serious about trying to follow him, then I'm going to start doing the things that he teaches me that I should do. There's a sense of obligation to live into obedience. And don't get me wrong. Obligation isn't all bad. Obligation isn't all bad. There's a genuine place for obligation in our lives. But in this first model, we go from believing right to obeying. And, and, and here's the funny thing about that. As we do this, we begin to change. And, and, then, and then we start thinking, well, Jesus said, if I, if I, if I love him, I'll obey his teachings. Looking all, look, look at all the ways where I'm like starting to obey Jesus. Look at all the ways that my life has changed. Obviously, I love Jesus. There's the proof in what I've been doing. And so I go from believing to obeying to loving. My obedience is proof of my love in this model. Now, do you know what the problem with that is? We've already talked about it. We all fail. Nobody raised their hand when we said, who, who obeys Jesus perfectly? 
as we, as we try and obey Jesus, we all fail. And here's, here's the crazy thing about obeying Jesus. The more you do it, the, the more you discover what it means to follow Jesus, the more you discover how far short of that you actually fall. The more you realize you've got all these broken areas in your, in, in your life. But, but if, if obeying is proof that I love and then I'm consistently failing, and then I'm realizing all of these additional ways that I need to obey that I'm not already, I mean, that's, that's saying all kinds of lousy things about how much I love Jesus then, isn't it? And so as I fail, I begin to experience shame. Shame over how I'm not obeying. Shame over how, how it reflects a deficit of love on my part. Shame about all these things that I'm d- discovering that, that I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware of before, and I, I don't even have any of those, right, let alone the things that I was aware of to begin with. And so you know what I do? I try harder. Try harder to get this thing right. Wherever it is I'm not following Jesus, whatever sin it is that I'm wrestling with, lust, greed, you know, um, pride, you know, gluttony, you know, you, you, whatever, you pick your thing. Whatever it is, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to cowboy up. I'm going to really put in some effort. I'm going to obey here. I'm going to get this thing right. And if you've ever been there, you, you, you probably know what happens next. As you try harder, you continue to fail, and there's all this shame And so what you do next is you hide. You hide that brokenness that's in your life. You do everything you can not to talk about it, not to let other people know about it. Because again, there's all this shame over, hey, I'm failing, I'm discovering all these new things, and I, I can't keep up with the old ones, let alone the new ones. And so this cycle begins to spin in our lives. We have this sense of obligation to live into obedience, and we try to, But along the way, we fail, and we're ashamed of our failure, and so we hide that stuff. But we've got this sense of obligation to obey, so we try harder, but we still fail, and there's even more shame, so we got to hide even more stuff. But you're obligated to obey, and so you try, and you don't make it, and you fail, and there's shame, and this thing just spins. And you wonder, why is spirituality such a difficult thing in my life? I I thought this was supposed to be a life-giving experience. Why is it so miserable for me? It's because you're living into this very cycle. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I will raise the question. Have you ever lived like this? See, every time I talk about this model, I can watch the people in the room, I can see the lights come on. Because for the first time, again, it is the most common model for how we approach the spiritual practices in the church today. But it's one that people have not thought out. They're just living into it, and they're not thinking it through. And this is what it produces. It's fueled by obligation and shame. That's our first model. Second model is slightly different. Now, as we look at the second model, two things we should know. First of all, it has some similar components to our first model, but it is 
has some key distinctions as well. Now, in our first model, we, we start in the exact same place as we did, or excuse me, in our second model, we start in the exact same place that we did in the first one. In the first model, we start with believing, which again, it's a good place to start. If you think about it, it's biblical. About believing, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So again, I, I, I begin with a belief in a divine creator, a designer of life who I am indebted to over my sin. I begin with this belief that Jesus has the ability to be my savior, to pour forgiveness and reconciliation into my life. It starts with believing. But, but from there, our second model goes in a very different direction. And our second model, we start with believing and then we move to seeking. We go from believe to seeking. And that says seeing, that's a typo, it should say seeking, all right? <laughs> um, seeking. Now, seeking, again, this is a biblical idea. Moses put it this way. He said, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all of your heart, and all of your soul. See, here's the idea. In a healthy relationship, you have at least one person, ideally you have both people, but you have one person who is seeking to really know that other person, to truly discover who they are and grow in that knowledge. Probably the place where this is most apparent is like in a dating relationship. Here's the deal. When, when two people are dating, at least when two wise people are dating, they are seeking to know who that other person really is. So like when I was dating my wife, Laura, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, like, hey, is she really as kind and as generous and as smart as she seems to be? I'm trying to discover, like, what are her hopes and her dreams and her fears and her aspirations for life? I'm desperately trying to figure out, like, how much crazy is hiding under that pretty that I'm signing up for here, right? And single people, single people, I'm telling you right now, you never fully answer that last question until after you're married. <laughs> Amen, married people? Uh-huh, yeah, you're shaking your heads. You're smart, you're not saying it loud because your spouse is sitting next to you, but it's just you're trying to discover. This is what's in, in seeking, I'm trying to figure out, who is God really? And Moses tells us that if we will seek God with all of our heart and all of our soul, that we'll find him for who he really is. Which takes us to the next place in the model, and that's knowing. Knowing. Jesus said it this way. He said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, see, with knowing here, it's important to understand the knowing that Jesus has in mind, this isn't about acquiring data. This is about coming to know God for who he is as a person. When, whenever Jesus uses this Greek word that we have translated as know to describe what's happening between two people, it is never something academic. It is always something relational. It's not about knowing stuff about God. It's about knowing who he is as a person. So, for example, uh, another, another one of my favorite things to do is to watch football. Just 
Love plopping down on a Sunday afternoon in front of the television just watching football. Now, back in the day, one of my favorite players to watch was Peyton Manning. Any Peyton Manning fans out there, right? Omaha, Omaha, right? Uh-huh. So, um, so I, I enjoy watching Peyton so much. I remember being in Mexico with my brothers and my dad on a surf trip, and we made the mistake of scheduling the surf trip during the NFL playoffs, a, a mistake, a scheduling error I never made again after that. But I found myself with this, you know, like total conundrum, like what am I going to do? Peyton's playing, the surf's coming in, what am I going to, you know, I got out of the water and went and watched Peyton play. I just enjoy watching a man play that much. Now, used to be I could rattle off all kinds of stats and figures and whatnot about Peyton and his performance. I knew Peyton in an academic sense. But if I was to run into Peyton on the street, catch him at an airport, meet him in a restaurant, if I pretend like I know Peyton personally, Peyton's going to be thinking, who are you, you stalker freak, right? Because I don't know the man. I just know stuff about him. When, what Jesus has in mind here, when we, when, we, when we move from believing to seeking to knowing, what we have in mind here is that we come to know God for who he really is on a personal kind of level. Not stuff about him, not data, not just theology. It's I come to know God as a person. And that is what leads to love. That's what leads to love. See, we, we get this in our other personal relationships. We've experienced this in our other personal relationships. Just think about it. Have you ever had somebody who you, were, you tried to get to know them relationally, and you did? As you came to discover who this person really was, it caused you to love them. And as you continued to get to know them better, it caused you to love them more. Like, aren't those kind of relationships the best? And yet we've probably all experienced the opposite, right? Like you had somebody who you got to know and you didn't like who you discovered. And the more you got to know them, the less you liked them. Ever have somebody like that in your life? Go ahead and tell the person next to you who that person is. I'm kidding, don't do that. <laughs> Especially if it's them, all right? It will not go well, all right? But we've all been there. The idea is that I, 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 I start with believing. I seek after God. And as I seek after him, I discover who he really is. I come to know him on a personal level. And that knowledge of him, that causes me to love him. And obedience then becomes an outflow of love. Jesus uh, was quoted almost word for word by one of his apostles, John, who wrote this. He said, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. There's, again, Johannes, if you bring the, the, the model back up here, there's this idea that I'm going to seek after God with all of my heart. In the seeking, I'm going to come to know him for who he really is. I'm going to meet him as a person. And God's the kind of person, the more you know him, the more you love him. And then obedience is an outflow of that love. 
And this, this is where our two models have some radical distinctions in them. See, in our first model, love is a byproduct of obedience. I love because I obey. My obedience is proof of my love for Jesus. In our second model, it's just the opposite. Obedience is a byproduct of love. I love, and because I love, obedience is the natural thing that I'm going to do. Very, there's similarities, the nuances, but they're incredibly different. You see, obligation and shame, there's, there's a place for both of them in our lives, but they're poor motivators. They're among some of the lowest motivators. Knowledge and love, knowledge and love will always be superior motivators to obligation and shame. Knowledge and love are what are, are, what are meant to fuel obedience in our lives. And when that's the case, you, you get a completely different cycle that begins to spin. I come to know God for who he really is. It causes me to love him, and so I obey him. And that obedience causes me to know him better and to love him more. And so I want to obey him more. And that means I come to know him better, and I love him more. And obedience is a natural thing instead of a shame or obligation-fueled kind of thing. That, that can totally change my walk with God. And so the question then becomes this. How do we seek after God so as to come to better know him relationally and as a result of that knowledge come to love him and then obey him more and more? How do I seek after God and in that seeking really discover this is who he is? And in that knowledge Come to love him so that obedience is a natural outflow of that. See, the real key here is in the seeking. How I seek after God makes all the difference in the world between whether I'm really going to come to know him for who he is as a person and fall in love and have obedience be a natural outflow of knowledge and love. And that's what the spiritual practices are meant to be. The spiritual practices are meant to be a way in which we seek after God so as to come to discover who he really is, to fall in love with him and have obedience be a natural outflow of that. And so what we're going to do in the rest of the series is each week we're going to take a different spiritual practice. And we're going to use you know, a piece of backpacking gear to illustrate that practice. But we're going to look at how this practice is meant to help us seek after God and really come to know him and fall in love with him as a result. Because how we approach the seeking, how we approach those practices, it's, it, it makes all the difference in the world. It is the difference maker between obligatory drudgery or genuine spiritual life. And so we want to invite you. Come on a walk with us. Come on a walk with God. And discover what it is to seek him, know him, love him, and obey him.
Would you pray with me, church? Father, just today, I just pray you would give us just a clear sense of which of these models, if we've never thought about it before, which of these models reflects how we approach a relationship with you and how we approach these practices that you have given us in the Bible that the church has tried to live into for thousands of years, but somewhere along the way have gotten so muddied up. Father, just pray that you would give us wisdom and grace in the weeks to come to see what it looks like to really seek after you in a way that helps us truly find you, to be changed for it. And Father, just before we, we move on today and before we dive into the rest of the series, if there are any of us who are watching online, any of us who are here today, who need to start with believing, who are ready to start with believing, we just want to create that opportunity right now. And if that's you, whether you're watching online or with us today, I just invite you just quietly in your heart. Just pray. Father, I believe you are there, that you are the maker, the creator, the designer of life. Father, I just confess to you that I'm broken, that I've sinned. I'm a long, long way from perfectly obeying the teachings of Jesus. I need a Savior. So today, I want to cross that line of faith. I want to put my hope, my faith, my trust in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. I want to surrender myself to follow him. I want to begin this journey where I seek after him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 